One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. My friends, my name is Simon Miller. Welcome to What Culture Wrestling, and that's right, Saturday has become the most populated day in all of professional wrestling. Make sure you go check out SmackDown ups and downs if you haven't seen it, or make sure you get your ass comfy because that's right, we're about to up those downs for the latest episode of AEW Dynamite. Just between you and I, again, it's not their fault. I'll be very happy when it does go back to Wednesday. When you watch SmackDown and AEW, your brain, well, it just kind of explodes. But let's up those downs for everything I just said. The first thing we saw on Dynamite this week was the Pinnacle arriving in a limousine. And I sat there and went, man, these guys, they're really, really cool. We also cut to Matt Hardy, who was with the Hybrid 2 and was telling us that he hates Christian Cage. He knows that Christian resents him because he has so much money, which is why he has employed Angelico to go to the ring and beat Christian Cage's ass. And that was our first match. I will tell you this too, it was really flipping good. Christian was in control for large portions of this, but my word, do we go out of our way to make sure Angelico proved what a star he could be because he was doing these badass kicks and he just has so many submissions that he was focusing onto Christian's arm. And if you had come up to me and said, Simon, I think he's trying to rip that limb from his body, I would have gone, yes, random stranger, I think you're right. Jack Evans tried to get involved later on, but Christian kind of looked at him and went, as if he was some kind of tiger and Jack legged it. And then he gave Angelico this cool kind of neck breaker thingy on the ropes and he followed it up with a diving headbutt. If you don't think Christian Cage is a good wrestler, then you don't know what good wrestling is. We had a really cool finish as well because Cage was able to work himself into the kill switch position. But before he hit it, he stared at Matt Hardy to let you know we're definitely going to be doing a feud there. He then hit his move, he got the one, two, three. And around about four seconds later, he was being beaten up by Matt Hardy and Jack Evans. Because of course he was. Hardy was able to hit the twist of fate before Jungle Boy ran out there to make the save. So I guess we're going to do something with these teams down the line. But this isn't the last we'll see of Jungle Boy. And he's in a completely other feud. So maybe we're just about to put the Jungle Boy in every single program possible. I won't lie. I'd actually be all right with this. The only issue with all of this is that I don't get the segue. A few weeks ago, it was made very clear, or at least I thought, that Christian was about to work his way through the entirety of Team Taz. And while I understand that Ricky Starks got injured, I was quite excited about that. So now I'm disappointed that it's gone. I also think the shift has been a little bit awkward because now nobody is talking about that. So we do have to give it a down. You just never know what AEW is going to do though, which is one of the reasons I do like it so much. Because Tony Schiavone was in the ring and he said, hey, I've got a match to tell you next week. It's going to be Aaron Solo and QT Marshall taking on Cody Rhodes 
and Brock Anderson. <laughs> what did you think I was going to say? And Brock Anderson is the son of the one and only Arn. But I didn't even know he was a wrestler, so what does that say about me? But I do always enjoy when we do these kind of things. And some people go, oh, this is nepotism at its worst. I don't give a crap about nepotism. Do I want to see Arn Anderson's son have a wrestling match? Of course I do. I'm a wrestling nerd. Marshall didn't seem too happy about this because he came out after the announcement and said, look, Cody, you don't like me and I don't like you, so why don't we have a strap match when we do have fans back in the arena and we're back on the road? And of course, Cody accepted. Imagine if he didn't, it would have been really weird. It also ended badly because of course it did because QT took a moment to take off his belt and just smack Aunt Anderson with it. And as soon as he did that, Brock, he wasn't happy at all. He attacked QT Marshall basically beat him up. Now, all of this did get me intrigued and I do want to see that tag match and I want to see the subsequent match between Cody and QT but we have done another strange pivot here because Anthony Agogo, well he wasn't on the show at all. So I do need to see what the plan is here because I'm going to guess that AEW has something in mind but if you were going to say to me, Simon do you think AEW is biding their time a little bit as they are on Friday nights, I would say maybe that is true, although fair play to them because they're still putting on pretty damn good shows. There was no such questioning next though because it was Death Triangle and Eddie Kingston taking on the Young Bucks and Brandon Cutler and if you haven't seen this week's BTE, to see just the sheer amount of abuse Brandon Cutler is getting from the Young Bucks, well you absolutely should. And as Nick Jackson said on that show, that should have been on Dynamite. It really should have been. It added a whole other dimension to his character. But this was just a brilliant, brilliant match. Packer Matt Jackson kicked things off. We did tie this into the side story here. When the Bucks looked at Brandon Cutler and said, you, you absolute moron, we're paying you to fight, so you better get in that ring and you better fight for us. It didn't work at all because Pack absolutely murdered this guy. And even though Eddie Kingston was on the apron going, tag me, tag me. As we know, Pack doesn't think much of Ed. So he tagged Penta instead. Kingston eventually wheeled himself into the match, but that didn't last long because then Pac was like, nah, I want to do it instead. And I was convinced this was how the match was going to end because Eddie Kingston doesn't like Pac and Pac doesn't like Eddie Kingston. They couldn't get along at all. So how the hell were they going to be victorious in a wrestling match? Pac essentially shouted the Young Bucks at this point to get back in the ring and they obliged, probably because they're terrified of the bastard. And then somebody somewhere pushed the AEW button because there was transitions, there was reversals, there was counters, there was just move, 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 move. There were so many near falls and I get it. Some people don't like this kind of wrestling, but me, the bald a-hole, I think it's tremendous. It just puts a smile on my face. I think there's about 56 dives at one point and the best pair came when Eddie Kingston kind of won pack over and they did a double dive at the same time. But then Nick Jackson busted out the most devastating move in all of sports entertainment. And my word, he got a one, he got a two, I thought he got a three, but he did not. The real error of this though came when Brandon Cutler decided to get back in the ring, because let's be honest, he was always going to be the guy to take the pinfall, which he did after Eddie Kingston clonked him right in the head with his spinning back fist. And while I assume Pack and Penta would be upset about this, I think maybe during the duration of this match, they kind of won him over a little bit. We did have another post-match beatdown, which is becoming a little bit like WWE distraction trope because Gallows and Anderson were out there before Frankie Kazarian arrived because of course he's the elite hunter and he chased everybody away. And I think we absolutely should have done that because I'm enjoying Frankie just popping up here, there and everywhere. 
But if that was your plan, I would have just scrapped the post-match after the Christian stuff. But hey-ha, I'm not gonna lie, it doesn't really matter. We then just got this random video package from Kenny Omega and Don Callis that had been produced and shot like it was their own version of a Dark Side of the Ring documentary. It was of course nonsense as well as Kenny Omega and Don Callis tried to tell us there's a big conspiracy against the champ and he keeps overcoming the odds. And I tell you, this was my side of ridiculousness. I thought it was really good. I just love Kenny Omega as well. I think he gets it, so cue the arguing. And we do have to talk more about these guys later, so I shall hold my opinions until then. The Pinnacle were out next, and I like to think it took them this amount of time to go from their limousine to find the ring maybe they spinal tapped themselves backstage. They kind of bounced off what the inner circle had done last week because FTR talked to Santana Ortiz and said, we don't give a shit about your family. So that's not going to go down well. When Sean Spears got the microphone and said, Sammy Guevara, you're nothing but a glorified indie wrestler. And I love that visual. If you're on the indie scene, you're an indie wrestler, but then you get to AWWE and there's some kind of transmission and no longer are you just an indie guy. Wardlow also accepted Jake Hagar's MMA challenge and I'm truly fascinated to see what we are gonna do with that. And of course we finished big because we finished with MJF. He went into all of this deep saying how he grew up looking up to Chris Jericho, but now ever since he's met him, he's realized he's nothing but an absolute loser, which is why Maxwell himself has beaten him twice and Jericho has not beaten him at all. So when it comes to Chris Jericho's challenge, no, he's not going to accept because why would he? He's already up on the game. Like MGF, that is a very good point. MGF then also went after Sammy Guevara and called him a chicken shit when all of a sudden Chris Jericho and the inner circle appeared on the big screen and they were stood next to the Pinnacle's limo. You were like, well, I know what's about to happen here. And they really went to town on this too. I mean, they had sledgehammers, they had bats, they had spray cans. Somebody sprayed El Bato on the side. I was like, oh, it's like The Simpsons when it was good. When Jake Hagar turned up in a forklift and he just crushed this car as if it was nothing. It was a little bit like, what did the limo do to anybody? It was just doing its job. And yeah, this finish with Sammy Guevara looking into the camera and saying like, Maxwell, if you want to fight, I'll beat your company ass any time of the week. So I do think we're going to do MJF versus Sammy Guevara, but then why did Sean Spears say all that stuff about Sam? I guess we're going to have to wait and see. This is a segment that we have seen time and time again though, and the reason we do keep repeating it is because it works. It's just fun because that's good enough. You can also describe this as a smart move by the inner circle because they got under the pinnacle skin, but when talking about smarts, I don't think we can apply that to Darby Allen. Because he was answering Ethan Page and Scorpio Sky here, who wanted to have a tag team match with him, and said, I've picked my mystery partner, and it's gonna be me. Uh-oh. Sting almost facepalmed himself here because it was such a dumb decision, but Darby has decided he needs to stand up for himself here, especially because Sting did get the win at Double or Nothing. Darby also told the Stinger that he implores him to stay at home and to show that they still will be eating dinner when they are in their residence. They fist bumped towards the end and Sting was like, look man, I don't think you need to do this, but I respect you, so you do whatever the hell it is you need to do. And then the answer I can come up with is kill himself. So this one is going to be interesting, and while I do respect Darby's hoops bar, it's a bit like two plus two equals llama. It's just wrong. What was not was Evil Uno versus Miro for the TNT title. I love these guys. I love them so much. I want them to marry me. This was brilliant. Up. Prior to all of this too, we had a video with Evil Uno who was telling us how much Brody Lee meant to him. So before we even got to the match, you're like, man, everybody calm down. Who's cutting onions? And then when we did get to the squared circle, 
I don't think you could have put this together any better. To the point, I'm giving whoever did do it a weird seal-like round of applause. This is mostly because we continue to treat Miro the way that I want him to be treated, which is essentially like the Terminator. No matter what Evil Uno tried to do, Miro's just like a boss in a video game. Like, ha, 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 you can't hurt me. And the only reason he did flub up is because he went to punch the evil one and he smacked the post instead. Even then though, after Uno got some strikes in, Miro just murdered him on the floor, which brought out Stu Grayson and Alan Andrews, who basically just wheeled Evil Uno back into the ring at the count of nine. But how good is that? This bond between the Dark Order gets better and better and better and better. Mira then decided, okay, well, if you are gonna come out here, I'm gonna try and kill you too. And that led to Evil Uno hitting that awesome running hurricanran that he does. And he followed it up with a Brody Lee big boot. It continued to improve as well because the evil one then hit his sent off on the top and Miro, he kicked out at one. Negative one, the rest of the Dark Order then came out because I assume they thought they were the Care Bears and they could just like shoot those beams into the ring and that would give Enel Uno all the momentum he needed. And while this seemed to be true when he went for the Brody Lee Discus Lariat, once more, Miro sold this like some cheese had been thrown at him. He hit a Lariat of his own. He locked in the game over and poor Evil Uno had to tap out. This was fantastic though. Let's absolutely try and feature Evil Uno more if we so can. And Miro, well, he is just my favorite guy in wrestling right now. I hope he's the TNT champion forever. Quick video package with Andrade next. He was putting a bunch of his clothes on. So I was like, yes, that's really smart. You don't want to appear naked on TV. But next week, he is going to do a sit down interview with JR. And so far, those have always been good. I presume this will be the same. It was also time for Kenny Omega and Don Callis to come out to the ring though. And these two goofs. Because they were kind of ragging on Jungle Boy going he doesn't deserve any kind of title opportunity. But they can't go all the way with this because when Kenny Omega does look at the boy from the jungle, he sees a little bit of himself in him. And because of that, kind of likes him. There's still something missing which Don Callis told us was guts. And clearly that annoyed Jungle Boy, because as soon as that line had been dropped, he stormed to the ring. So as we now know, don't tell Jungle Boy he hasn't got any insides. This surprised Kenny because it was a promo segment and Jungle Boy isn't known for his promo time. So what he's going to do is he's going to pass the microphone to him and he has five seconds to say something good. And the Jungle Man or the Jungle Boy or the Jungle Person was so smart here because he just went, you talk too much. And then he started to kick Kenny Omega's ass. He almost locked Omega in the snare trap too before the Young Bucks made the save. And I will tell you this, if AEW did pull a fast one and they made Jungle Boy the world champion, I wouldn't 100% be against it when you've got fans in the arena who just comes across like such a big star. I doubt that is gonna happen, but I want to believe. And the reason I want to believe is because of moments like this. Jade Cargill then reminded us that she's that bitch. Obviously, she's now teamed up with Mark Sterling, who I think said that her revenue has now increased by 43% ever since they have got together. And right now, I already know what this is. But we haven't done much with it to this point, so we just have to sit down and rest and wait. But yeah, I already get it. Ethan Page and Scorpio Sky were then here, and they just mocked Darby Allen, saying, well, what a stupid decision you've made. Once more, I was like, I know you're a couple of bad guys, but you are making a very good point. I also think these two threatened to murder him because they said that they were going to step on his body. So that's something you can look forward to next week. It was kind of the same with Lance Archer too. He stormed to the ring and absolutely fanboozled this guy called Chandler Hopkins. This can't have gone longer than 45 seconds. He hit the blackout. He got the one, two, three. 
So I guess somebody just wanted to feature him on TV and it was very nice to see him. I also think the best friends are about to feud with the wingmen, or as I have dubbed them, Benoni's boys with a Z. Because they were all chatting and they took a shot at Orange Cassidy's clothing and said that if he doesn't let them redress him, instead, Cesar Benoni will just beat him up. You tell me. We are absolutely definitely making Nyla Rose our number one contender for the women's championship as well. She was fighting Layla Hirsch here, and I really enjoy these two people. They are really good wrestlers. They're both really unique as well, which helps. In the early going, Layla Hirsch just launched herself to the outside at Nola Rose, but forgot that she's massive. She got caught in midair and then just hurled into the ring. Rose then also went for a punch, but I think Layla had been watching the Miro match because she grabbed the fist and threw it into the ring post. But that didn't do much of anything either because Hirsch then went for an arm bar and Nyla Rose was like, man, I'm bored with this. So she picked her up again and she chucked her into the barricade. And the poor inanimate objects on this episode of Dynamite, they were getting absolutely ruined. It kind of sums up the finish too when it comes to throwing things around the place. Because Layla was able to work Nyla Rose to the fact she was on the top rope. And even though she went for a Frankensteiner, Nyla Rose is too strong and she hit the beast bomb instead. And you were like, well, that's got to be the end. And it was the end. It was also pretty damn good. And instantly we jumped to the back where we we're doing an interview with Britt Baker, who was like, man, I don't like you, Nyla Rose. You're a piece of trash and you're just jealous like all these other bitches. There is one of AEW's most popular words, but Britt Baker is the face of the division and she will prove this by defeating Nyla Rose. Now, I am all good with this. I think I'll have a good little program, but if you came in here and put a gun to my head, said, Simon, who's the good guy? Who's the bad guy? You're gonna have to shoot me because I have absolutely no idea. Not that it's a big deal. It's just something I thought, put this gun away. It's just something I thought when I was watching it but I do think Nyla Rose is a pretty good first opponent for Brit, because when she beats her, because I assume she will, you can then talk about that for days. AEW then made me happy, because the rule goes as this. If you take a couple of your homegrown stars and you plonk them in the main event, I just look at it and go, what a smart decision that was. And given that we had both Powerhouse Hobbs and 10 from the Dark Order teaming up with Hangman Adam Page and Brian Cage, well, basically, AEW did all of this, and that's why it's getting it up. The rest of Team Taz was at ringside as well, with Taz on commentary, and Taz also had to have surgery yesterday, so I just want to send all positive thoughts and health to him. And we started with Brian Cage versus Adam Page. Now, I still need this match in a cage, which is surrounded by a mage who is filled with all the rage. We have got to a point now where these two dudes just have such good chemistry, so they go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and it's always really pretty damn good. Ten soon tagged himself in because he decided he could smack around Byron Cage, but that was a really bad idea, and it ended with Will Hobbs getting in the ring, and they gave him an assisted powerbomb. The Dark Order were just on it tonight, though, because when Cage went to give him a fireman's carry, Ten landed on his feet, and he booted Brian Cage right in the face, and then when Hobbs ran in, well, he booted him too. The cowboy then got back in the ring, but he completely forgot that Powerhouse is some sort of a wall, and no matter what he tried to dish out, well, it was almost as if Hobbs had some kind of force field around him, and he didn't get any kind of success until he smashed a moonsault from the top rope. He thought he could finish it with the buckshot lariat, but for about the 67th time, Powerhouse Hobbs just cut him off, and then after that, it was your traditional AEW match. Move, transition, reversal, near fall. Move, transition, near fall, reversal. It just really wears you out in the best possible way. Hooks, of course, tried to distract the referee because he learned all this from his dad, and at that moment, Ricky Starks passed the FTW title to Brian Cage, clearly because Rick isn't learning. Because surprise, surprise, Brian still isn't into this and told Ricky Starks, leaving Rick to get up on the apron, and he slapped Brian Cage right around the face. 
So I think Team Taz is about to die. Brian was so mad that he chased Starks to the back, but that left Powerhouse Hobbs all by himself. And while he fought valiantly for a little bit, Hangman Adam Page hit him with the buckshot lariat. 10 was a legal man, so he made the one, two, three. And Dynamite ended this week with the Dark Order and the Cowboy just celebrating. And I thought to myself, what a lovely way to bring this to a close. It was satisfying and it was happy and sometimes that's all you need to do. So like we did say last week, this isn't going to be one of the greatest episodes of Dynamite that you ever saw. But is it really easy to watch and are you going to have a decent time? You bet your ass. Don't bet your ass if you lose it. What the hell are you going to do? And overall, this is getting up. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.